I, I want to challenge you today as we get ready to pray and just open up the word of God. I want to I talk to you about something today that I think is going to be important. I don't know if I've ever used this word before in a sermon, but I want to talk to you about straight line prayers and squiggly line answers. I want to talk to you about that some of you have forgotten that God has not forgotten you, but is in the process of answering prayer that you've prayed. He remembers you. And he has a way of answering prayer that I agree with Ivory and the team. There's no one like Jesus. No one can make it happen like Jesus. And that's why I want to talk to you about today. Let's pray. Father, we declare today there is no one like you. You, you don't need our help. You can do it all by yourself. You are God. And Father, we today honor you for what you've already done in our life. We say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your presence that's in our lives. God, would you encourage us, encourage everyone that's watching today? Let them know that you haven't forgotten. That what seems to be like this squiggly line that just doesn't seem to land on point, God, that there is something that you are doing. There is a path and a journey that we think we may be getting farther from an answer, but really in actuality, it's all in your plan to get us not only there, but to get us there in such an amazing fashion and bigger than we've ever thought. So thank you, God, for what you are going to do today and encourage your precious people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, there are some times that while we're preaching, I will use Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called the message. I think sometimes that it will begin to open up a passage and make the words a little bit more clearer when we begin to use um, sometimes a paraphrase to, to see what God is trying to speak to us. I was reading Eugene Peterson who, as a pastor, his biography recently, because he went to, to be with the Lord last year. And I love this story from his biography. See, Eugene Peterson was growing up in a Pentecostal home um, in the, in the uh, West. And while he was there, it was just at a time in this small town, um, he said when he was in second grade that being a Pentecostal kid coming from a spirit-filled church wasn't really um, was wasn't really celebrated then. In fact, he, he talked about that he was bullied um, for going to this Pentecostal church when he was growing up. In fact, he said his parents had to memorize the verse, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. And Eugene Peterson talks about one, one bully that would always begin to bother him and pick on him and literally begin to fight him for what he was in his, in his religious background. His name was Garrison Johns. And he says every afternoon he would try to catch him and it would always be a fight. He said he found out that he was a Christian and would make fun of him. And he says every day his mother said, let's pray for him and pray for his salvation. And then Eugene Peterson tells this story. He says, one day I was with seven or eight of my friends when Garrison Johns caught up with us. He said he started jabbing me and then it happened. Eugene Peterson said something snapped in him. For a moment, he said the Bible verses disappeared from my conscience and I grabbed Garrison. And he said, to my surprise, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, pinned his arms to the ground and had my knees on top of him. And then he writes this. You have to hear this. He says, I hit him in the face with my fist 
And he says, and it felt good. He said, this lovely crimson was in the snow. He said, I said to Garrison, say uncle, and he wouldn't say it. So I said it to him again, and there was even more blood. Then my Christian training kicked in, and I said, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he wouldn't say it, so I hit him again. There was more blood. I tried it. I said, say Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He said he finally said Jesus is my Lord. And then he writes, Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. Now, let me just tell you something, folks. This is not good evangelism by any means. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it. It's easy sometimes, though, to find ourselves like Eugene Peterson and Garrison Johns, listen, inserting ourselves into God's activities. And when you do, things get chaotic and things become confusing. That's when even God becomes confusing. Listen to this close, because I really believe that if Satan can't get you to deny Christ, he will get you to distort Christ instead. And that's the danger that sometimes begins to happen. And it happens, I believe, in prayer. I believe there are moments that we're not Christ deniers, but sometimes we can distort what God is actually doing. It is as if God, we have God on the ground, like like Eugene Peterson has Garrison Johns trying to get God to say uncle to our prayer requests so we can get what we want um, from God in prayer. And when we do this, we distort who God is and even how he begins to answer our prayers. That's why today I want us to see how God answers prayer. That's why we always challenge you to join us with our overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon, on Tuesday nights as we have our worldwide prayer meeting. This is such an important time to see not only the prayer requests, but even to have the celebrations on how God begins to answer prayer. And I want us today for just a moment that I've watched in my own life because there's a number of prayers that Cindy and I have been asking God to do. And though we haven't seen the answer, we know that God is in the process of answering. I just don't want us to distort God today. And so that's why prayer is one of those areas that I want to begin to grow in. And I want all of us to grow in. And the way and the thing that helped me to undistort, if that's a word, undistort God, um, or to make God clearer was this. I did something in the New Testament recently. I started tracking one of Paul's prayers and his answers in the New Testament. I saw what he prayed And then all of a sudden, over the years, I saw the answer and I go, that was a straight line prayer. But how he got there was pretty squiggly line, much, much like that in order to get to where he was. And for this reason, I started to realize you never know when you pray how God is going to answer that prayer. I was thinking of what one pastor said, these poignant words about answered prayer. He said, that may seem that God didn't answer prayer when the real issue maybe is we don't like the answer that he actually gave to us. And this is so important as we begin to kind of go on this journey to see as Ivory and the team sang today, there's no one like Jesus. You're going to see that even with Paul's prayer and Paul's answer. Right here, his, his prayer that starts in the book of Romans and the answer that really comes in the book of Philippians. See, Paul writes to the Roman church. This is his prayer and tells them his desire and his prayer. This is what he says. He says in Romans 1.10, he says, my desire and constant prayer 
is that I would be able to come and visit you. It, it, it says, I'm praying this continually, according to the plan and the timing. I love these words, according to the plan and the timing of God. In fact, he goes on to say in that same chapter, I'm so exciting, excited about coming to preach the wonderful message of Jesus to you in Rome. See, Paul had no idea how that prayer would be answered. But if you think about it, that wasn't his problem. That was God's problem. That was God's project. See, Philippians 1 tells us God did answer that prayer and that God did come through. How did, how did that happen, Pastor Tim? Well, see, Rome never became, as Paul thought, his fourth missionary journey. Paul only had three missionary journeys that we can track in the book of Acts. And, on, and it didn't become ever part of his itinerary to preach the, to, in, in preaching that he thought was going to happen. But literally, before he ever got to Rome, Paul got arrested and put in jail. I mean, can you imagine Paul saying to himself, I've been constantly praying to get to Rome, and now... I'm going to jail. I, I, I could just see Paul thinking this, going like, God didn't even answer my prayer. But then it starts, church. He is being sent to trial, but the trial is going to be in Rome. See, Paul thought he was going as a preacher when actually he was going to end up going as a prisoner. See, he didn't get to, to Rome with a suit on and a Bible in his hand. He got to Rome with chains on him. Remember, we pray and we let God figure out how we get to that place. And that's when it happens. See, the, printed, the prison sentence that he was about to get was going to become the platform that he actually prayed for all the way back in Romans 1.10. See, actually God did come through, but just not the way Paul thought. He prayed this kind of straight line prayer, I want to go to Rome. But God was about to do something that was going to blow Paul away and do something powerful. Because really what was happening? Now get this. Jot this down. Paul's trial was really Paul's answer to prayer. Paul's trial. The difficult moment that Paul was going through. What he thought was chains in prison. Was really going to be the answer to prayer. See God actually did come through for the apostle Paul. But just not the way that he thought. In fact let me read to you what he says but he's writing from Rome. He's in Rome, answer to prayer. And let me read to you what he writes right in the midst of the answer to prayer. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter one, verse 12. This is what he says. I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered, but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. And let me tell you, he's about to tell you who he's preaching to. Here it is. For now, the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for Jesus. Do you understand what just happened? Paul thought he was going for the church, and now he's talking to the elite Roman guards. And what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God, all because of my chains. The gospel is now going, if you, what's incredible here, this is the gospel is going through the most guarded place in the world. And Paul says, it's advancing. In fact, what he was saying was, it's going through a place that is anti-Christ because it was Nero's palace. What Paul was saying was, is I'm chained 
to a Roman guards. Every, every couple hours, Paul gets chained to the elite Roman guards in the most guarded place on the planet. And what do you think the apostle Paul is doing? He is preaching to those guards. That's where you get so many of these prison epistles. We start speaking about certain Rome, like even when you think about Ephesians chapter six, and he starts speaking about the armor of God. Where do you think he got that? From being chained to a Roman soldier. See, Paul's prayer was to come for the Roman Christians, but God saw a bigger answer to his prayer. See, Nero persecuted the Christians so harshly and inhumanely that God decided to bring the good news. You ready for this? Right through Nero's front door and right into the palace. Paul was thinking, I'm going to go into some house church. God goes, no, 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 no. I'm the one who's answering the prayer. You prayed, you desired to get to Rome. I've got it from here. God says, you're going right through the front door of Nero's palace. You're going to begin to speak to the government officials and the elite Roman guards, and you're going to tell them about the love of Jesus. See, his prayer was answered, but even better than he prayed. He is, he is not only, Paul is not only advancing the gospel, but it has gotten to the elite army. The message is getting, according to what Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, it's getting to the palace guards. See, Paul in Rome as a preacher, he's limited if it's his fourth missionary journey. But Paul as a prisoner, he is in a place that he could never have gotten into, which is Caesar's palace. He, he gets to preach in that high security place, folks, for two years. God gives him a pulpit right in the midst of that palace. Paul is in Rome, the imperial city, the capital of the world. And the seat of the government is right there inside that palace. And now the message of Jesus, the very thing he prayed in Romans chapter 1, 10 and 15, now is being answered and Paul never thought that this could have happened. I have to think Paul's going, I never thought this. I never could have imagined this. That's why these words, which is one of the prison epistles, the book of Ephesians, let me read it to you out of the Living Bible. You know this verse, Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do more than we can ever dare to ask. And then he says, even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or even hopes. Paul, I believe, was writing that thinking, I never could have scripted this. I never thought that God was going to answer it this way. See, what men define as an imprisonment is really Paul's answer to prayer. It, it is beyond the prayer and desires that Paul even had all the way back in the book of Romans. And I think sometimes we stop short um, thinking God didn't answer a prayer when actuality he is in the process of making it even larger than you could have even prayed with your words. That you may be here today, you may be listening today thinking, God forgot, when really God is in process. God didn't remember what I prayed, when actually God was doing something greater than you can ever think or imagine. You know, recently I was listening to a podcast, an interview with um, a very, very special servant of God, Luis Palau. He is considered to be by many the Billy Graham of South America. He, is, he has preached to hundreds of thousands and so many people have been born again. But he was, he was speaking in his 80s and, and Luis Palau is still alive and still preaching but has been diagnosed with cancer. And entering the twilight not only of his age but really of his ministry. And I was listening to a podcast and it was so incredible to listen to this servant of God 
begin to speak and recount the years and, and talk about the goodness of God. Not, not one sense of regret, not one sense of bitterness towards God for the cancer. And in the interview, which was so amazing and inspiring, there was a part of it that was so priceless to me that I, I want to ask you, if you're, if you're sitting there, I want you to get a phone out, whether you click pictures on your TV or jot this down, probably something that so blessed me um, that I think about even to this day is when Luis Palau, after decades of ministry, begins to speak about prayer and he says, I've seen God. He says, I've realized there are five ways that God answers prayer. Five ways that God answers prayer. Get this, because this really helps us on those journeys when we pray our Romans 110 prayer, when we pray our Romans 115 prayer before we see the answer in Philippians chapter one. And this is what Luis Palau said. Here they come. He says, God will say this to our prayer. This is how, this is God responding to our prayer. Yes, number one, he says, this is the first thing God will do. Yes, I never thought you'd ask. God waiting to respond. I love that. Yes, I never thought, yes. That reminds me of the James 1 passage. You have not because you ask not. But let me give you the second one. He says this, no, I love you too much. I love you too much. Wow, this is so good. And I'm so grateful for Luis Palau. He says, number three, he'll say sometimes this is his answer. Yes, but not yet. The timing is not right. Yes, not yet. The timing is not right. But four and five, is what blows me away. And this is what makes me think about Paul. Yes, and here's more than what you asked. Yes, and here's more than you can ever imagine. And then number five, yes, but differently than you thought. Think of those again. Yes, I never thought you'd ask. No, I love you too much. Yes, but not yet. Timing's not right. Four, yes, and here's more. And five, yes, but differently than you thought. See, four and five is what we're seeing today in Paul's prayer. Here's, here's what I've learned about God answering prayer. Really thinking of what Luis Palau even told us. I, wa I want you to just to, not, just to jot down these three things. I'm just going to kind of unpack it a little bit. Looking at the Romans 1 prayer and the Philippians 1 answer. The Romans 1 prayer, the Philippians 1 answer, and kind of what goes in between. This is what I've realized. Let me give you these three things, and then I'll just unpack it a little bit. One, I realize just ask, don't dictate. Just ask, don't dictate to God. Number two, God's answers come really in squiggly lines, not straight ones. And number three, when you see pain, when you see a painful situation, you may be closer than you think, not further than you are. And I want you to stay with me now. So let's unpack those. Number one, just ask. Don't dictate how God's supposed to do it. You know, a few months ago, I got a phone call from a number that I, I've never seen before. I don't, I don't even know how they got my number. Um, I didn't answer it, but, I, but they left a long um, voicemail and realized it was a graduate student from a teen challenge um, in the northeastern part of the United States. And David is a graduate, and he left this message for me. He said, two years ago, you spoke at a teen challenge banquet at my church. And he says, and at the end of preaching, I, I came up with my, me and my wife hand in hand. And he said, we just had a miscarriage two years ago. And he said, would you pray for us? And he said, Pastor Tim, this was on his voicemail. He said, Pastor Tim, you didn't pray a, simply a prayer of comfort just to heal us from the pain of it. 
said, you started to pray this prayer of abundance. And, and listen, friends, I don't even remember that prayer. I don't even remember praying it. I don't know why, and I don't even know what it meant for me to pray. So as you said, started saying, God, bless them abundantly. Bless the womb abundantly. And all of a sudden, he leaves this message. He says, last night, we just had twins. It, it was more than he can ever imagine. Folks, I, I didn't have a twins prayer in me. It was God taking my simple words and enlarging it. It was God going, yes, and here's more. It was God doing above and beyond what we can ask or think. See, we can't box God in on how he does things. Paul's desire is a pulpit in Rome and Paul gets a prison, but that's still part of the answer. Paul thought he was going to get a green room and Paul got chains, but Paul got an answer. See, you and I can't tell God how to do his job. He is perfectly capable of doing it. I, I was blown away when I read this article in a Christian magazine. Brenda was not only a Christian, um, but she was a pretty avid and um, accomplished rock climber. She said that she was going rock climbing in the, mid, in, the, uh, in the western part of the United States with some of her friends. And she said while she was, they were, they were scaling um, this, this wall um, this, of, of rock, she said um, something happened where her rope began to just to slam her on the side of this, of this rock, of this crevice. And she said her contact lens popped out. She says, and I can't see without my contact lens. He says, I'm hundreds of feet up in the air and I'm thinking I've lost my contact lenses. Somehow, uh, the, the, all of the, the mountain climbers who were, who were very accomplished got Brenda all the way up to the top of where the, what they were climbing to. And she says in this article, she sat up there so discouraged and prayed. She said, Lord, help me to find it. And she said, as I sat there, um, a friend examined my clothing to see if the lens was there, looked on the ground. There was nothing there. And she said, all I thought to myself was this. Remember, we don't box God in. Um, she said, Lord, you can see all of these mountains. You know every stone and leaf, and you know exactly where my contacts are. Please help me. And didn't find it at the top, didn't find it at any of the ledges. She said, as we walked down the trail to the bottom of the mountain, there was a party of climbers just getting ready to climb the face of the cliff. She says, and one of them shouted out when they got down, hey, you guys, anybody lose a contact lens? Okay, hold on to this. Well, that would be startling enough, but she wrote, but the way what the climber saw was even crazier. She said, this is what they told her. There is an ant, we saw these ants moving across the ground carrying these two contact lenses, a colony of ants holding the contact lens. I, I, I'm going, this is crazy. This is insane. And then Brenda couldn't believe it, wrote in the article. In fact, she went home and told her father, who is a cartoonist for, a, for a, um, a newspaper in the city that she lived in. And when she told her father this incredible story about the prayer, the context lens, he drew a picture for the city newspaper of an ant lugging this giant contact lens with these words under the caption, Lord, I don't know why you want me to carry this thing. I can't eat it. It's really heavy. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it for you, Jesus. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. God 
is amazing. You can't script that. You can't dictate it. This is what I realized. We can have a contact lens prayer and God starts working with the insect world and not the humans because God can do whatever he wants to do. Don't script it. Don't dictate it. Just ask and leave it in God's hands. He knows what he's doing. Let me give you a second thing. This is the part I want to explain to you. God's answers come crazy word, squiggly lines and not straight ones. Pastor Tim, squiggly, can you really say that in church? We're saying it because between Romans 1 and Philippians 1, it's not a straight line. It's a squiggly line. See, when Paul first desired to go to Rome in Romans 1, it was 57 AD. Then in Philippians chapter 1, the answer to the prayer comes in 62 AD. That means five years after the prayer to go to Rome, he gets there differently than he thought. Not as a preacher, like we said, but as a prisoner. Remember Luis Palau's words. Yes, but differently than you thought. I, I, I need a contact. Yes, we'll find it, but differently than you thought. Not humans, but insects. Yes, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. See, we think Paul prays about Rome in Romans 1. And what you do is, I want to go, I want to, go to Rome and preach the gospel. And so what we think, here's our straight line thoughts. I go, I call up Delta. I get my plane ticket. And that's our straight line thinking. I get on the plane, land, get picked up, and I go preach in Rome. Not even close. Here comes the squiggly line answer. You ready for this? From Rome, Romans 1 to Philippians 1, the squiggly line answer goes like this. Paul goes from Ephesus to Macedonia, to Greece, to Jerusalem, imprisoned in Caesarea, shipwrecked in Malta. Then he gets to Rome, mission accomplished. Think how crazy that is. We're just thinking, get on Delta. Paul goes, Ephesus, Macedonia, Greece, Jerusalem, Caesarea, Malta, and then Rome, and God goes, got you there. That's, 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 God goes, I have a path for you. See, here's the question. Why does God answer with the squiggly line and not always the straight line? I'm going to give you the simple answer. Because you are there in those places to grow and to serve before you get to the answer. He is sending you on stops that you may think are, are, are out of the will of God or detours. And God goes, no, 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 no. These aren't detours. This is the journey to where I'm bringing you. Because on these detours, you not only need to be there, the people need you to be there. Not only do you need to be there for, for, for you to grow, the people need you to be there for you to serve. And this is so important. What I see between Romans 1, 1.10 and Philippians 1.12, from praying for, to go to Rome, getting to Rome, and then seeing the five cities, because in every one of these five cities, Paul was serving and growing. Every single one of them. He was serving and growing in those cities. And that's what makes this amazing. See, that's why, for example, let me just say this. We can easily ask God our straight line prayer, thinking this is the way it is. Some of you have been asking God, Lord, I want to get married. Lord, I want to, I, I, want to, I want to have a family. Lord, I'm in my 30s. God, I'm in my early 40s. God, I, I need it. And so we think straight line on this stuff. 
You know, uh, we have this misconception that I'm going to go on Christian Mingle and all, a man I've never seen before is going is to write down that my favorite book is, is, is the Bible and I love rainbows and sunsets and I, and I like to listen to Christian music. And you're going to go, there it is, that's Jesus. And we have no idea that in order to get to the answer, you may have an Ephesus, a Macedonia, and a Malta to go through before you get there. We just think we're going to go online and find it. And God goes, you're not going online. You're going on a journey is what you're going to do to see that answer. That's the squiggly line. God says you need to grow and to serve. See, that's why every one of these five cities, Paul was growing and, and serving there. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what was happening. Let me, let me give you some of just what was taking place. In Ephesus, he saw God change an entire city, fought against the, the occult members and, and watched what God can do there. In Macedonia, the gospel is starting to expand to Europe and in prison that night while he is in jail. You know the story. Him and Silas are in jail. God comes through and they see, they see in prison, God comes through at midnight. Then in Jerusalem, there are false accusations, and, but God rescues him. When he gets to Caesarea, he's there and he gets to speak to a governor unashamedly and even to a king. And then when he gets to Malta, he is shipwrecked there and sees miracles on an island in the Mediterranean. And then he begins to get to Rome. See, when you pray, you have to watch. Those detours have a reason. That's why Paul says it like this in one of his other letters. He says, don't be weary in prayer. He says, keep at it. Watch for God's answers and remember to be thankful for when they come. You just never know how God's going to do it. Yes, and here's more. And yes, even differently than you thought. I, I was reading in her biography, Corey Temboon, the, the one that was hiding Jews during, during, during the Nazi Germany um, uh, Holocaust. And her and her family were taken to, to a prison camp, Ravensbrück. And her, Corey and her sister Betsy were there. And Corey writes this story, remember, how important the squiggly lines are because we sometimes don't think, we forget the Maltas and the Caesareas and the Jerusalems that God begins to do and the Greece and the, and, 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 and the journey, the squiggly line. Listen to this. Corey said, I was, I was in the hiding place. She says, there was an incident which taught me this principle. She says, me and my sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst German concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Upon entering the barracks, they found... We found them extremely overclouded, crowded, and flea infested. He said their scripture reading that morning in 1 Thessalonians said to rejoice always and pray constantly and give thanks in all circumstances. So Corey said, my sister Betsy told me to stop complaining and to give thanks for every detail, even our living quarters. Corey writes in the book and she says, I flatly refuse to give thanks for these quarters and I was not going to give thanks because it was flea infested. And Betsy goes, thank God even for the fleas. That's the kind of the squiggly line. Thank God for the fleas. And, and Betsy persisted. She finally succumbed, she said, and during the months spent at this camp, they were surprised to find how openly all the ladies in their barracks, these women that were in this concentration camp, can hold Bible studies and prayer meetings right there in the midst of this concentration camp. And, and what was crazy was they had no guard, Nazi guard interference. And she says it wasn't until seven months, several months later when they learned the guards would not enter into their barracks 
because it was flea infested. Do you know what God was doing? He was saying, you give thanks for things you don't understand. But what I'm doing is sometimes it may seem like a squiggly line, but I'm doing something much differently than you can ever imagine. You asked for God to give you a Bible study and ladies to preach the gospel, and you got upset because God gave you fleas. It's just a squiggly line. While you're arguing and angry with God about fleas, you got your answer. That's why Corey Temboon eventually writes and says this, don't bother to give God instructions, just report for duty. That's what he's called us to do. How, how, how does all this happen? Let me close with this and let's be done to, to, with, with, with understanding between Romans 1 and Philippians 1, how God answers prayer and how we see it played out in Paul's life. I want to I say something to you that I've, I think I've seen in my own life. When you see pain or a painful situation, you may be closer than you think to the answer. You may be closer than you think. Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband, Jim Elliot, um, as a martyr to the Aka Indians who wrote the book Through Gates of Splendor, as she experienced her husband um, being martyred for his faith in God, she said this, she says, she said, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem sometimes to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and it's going to be a lot bigger what God's going to do. I want to read Philippians 1 again, the answer. And just, just bear with me as we close. Paul says, I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered, but helped the ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. For now, the elite Roman guards and the government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for the anointed one for Jesus. And then Paul writes these words, and what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord, to be bold and passionate, to preach the word of God, all because of my chains. Paul got more than a preaching opportunity. God expanded it. Yes, and here's more. He was able to encourage the Christians to be bold. He got to share the gospel with a group of people, the elite guards and the government officials that may have never heard it if God didn't answer the prayer this way. Because no one ever got into the palace and ever preached to the elite guards. If he would have gotten what he asked for, what his straight line thinking would have been, he would have gotten to the Roman church, but he never would have gotten into Nero's palace. Because we don't think like God. And that's why this is so important. He gets more. And it looked like pain in people's eyes. But in God's eyes, this was an answer that was going to be bigger than he can ever think. That's why I love what, when, I, when I started to realize that God uses, or let me just say it like this. Rick Warren says it like this. Your greatest ministry sometimes will come out of what sometimes looks like your greatest hurts. Sometimes the greatest ministry will come out of your greatest hurts. And God will use, listen to me, precious people. God will use painful moments sometimes to enlarge the answers to your prayer. What you think is a blockade, what you think is a hurdle, God's going, no, 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 I'm enlarging something. And, I, and I've seen that. I've seen pain become an enlarger of what God is wanting to do. And that's why when you see pain on your Christian journey, you're moving, I believe, towards your answer, not further from your answer. I, I, keep this in mind. Even all those precious people that have been water baptized from all those countries, from all those people that have been water baptized, 
as we're celebrating for you, there's going to be times that you're going to face suffering and pain on your Christian journey. Don't, don't get discouraged. It may just be a squiggly line. And God, I think, is going, it's getting larger. What I'm getting ready to do for you is getting ready to be amazing. And don't misinterpret your painful moments. Just know that you're getting closer to an answer. And that's why I believe God often uses our deepest pain as the launch pad for our greatest calling. God will use sometimes the deepest pains that you're facing right now as a launch pad for your greatest calling. He could, he could take the pain of a wayward or a prodigal child and God goes, I'm getting you closer to your calling. I'm teaching you how to become an intercessor and how to pray people back into the kingdom of God. That maybe you wouldn't get down on your knees um, until you saw pain and God brought you to that moment. But you know what I started to realize? Man, to face pain without God is unbearable because then all of a sudden you realize there's no, what's the purpose of this? I'm trying to live a life without the pain part. And God goes, no, 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 no. I'll use all of this to get you to where you need to be. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? Think of the most painful moment ever experienced on this planet was the pain that Jesus went through. And what we think sometimes, I love the words that Ravi Zacharias says. He says this, when you think of that moment when Jesus is on the cross and he says these words that maybe some of you have said, think of, think of the words he says on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Ravi Zechariah says, isn't it amazing? Even Jesus facing that moment of pain is thinking, where are you, God? And what was happening was God wasn't gone. And Jesus wasn't out of the will of God because he was in a painful moment. He was in the center of the will of God, redeeming the planet back to the Father. See, we think if it's painful, it's not God, which nothing could be further from the truth. The most painful moment on this planet is the Son of God suffering for you and for me. And it's at that moment, he wasn't further from from the plan of God. He was in the center of the plan of God, closer than he's ever been on that 33-year journey, right in the center of it. And I have to tell you, you may be in a place today that you're going, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? He is there. And he doesn't want you to face this without him. Life doesn't work without God. Well, then, Pastor Tim, I got to get back to church. No, 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 listen close. Doors of the church are closed all all over the planet let alone the doors here at Times Square Church. That's why we're doing a webcast. But I want you to understand, just because the doors of the church may be closed doesn't mean that God can't be with you. God in your life makes sense of our lives. When God is in our life, he makes sense of even those painful situations. And Pastor Tim, I, I need him in my life because I'm trying to get it from counseling. I'm trying to get it from medication, and I can't make sense of this. The only person that can make sense of your pain is God himself. How how in the world can a man look at an imprisonment and go, and you answered, look what you did. Nobody else would look at it that way. God knows what he's doing. And God knew you'd be listening today. Because for some of you who are in the most painful moment of your life, whether whether it's you're, you're, you're facing all that goes along with the pandemic, whether you're facing possible job loss, relocation, whatever is going on right now, I want you to understand, you don't have to face that alone. God wants to walk with you. God wants to be part of your life. 
Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? Do I have to go to church? It's a good thing, but that's, that doesn't get God in your life, but that's a good thing to do. Well, should I get water baptized like all those other people? That's, that's a great thing, but there's something more important because the most important question I can ask any one of you today is, have you been born again? That's where the relationship starts. That's what Jesus said. Those aren't Times Square church words. Those aren't Protestant, Catholic, religious words. Those are Jesus words. Have you been born again? Pastor Tim, what does that mean? These are what Jesus says in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. He says, no one will see the kingdom of heaven or enter the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. And then says in John 3, 5, you must, you must be born again. Pastor Tim, what does that mean? He was saying, just as you've had a first birth, maybe in a hospital, you need a physically, you need a second birth, which happens spiritually. Just as you have a birth date, you need a spiritual birth date. That's when a relationship with God begins to start. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? We tell you almost every single week, it's as simple as ABC. ABC, each of those letters correspond really to what being born again means. A, it's admitting that I'm a sinner, that we're broken on the inside. So when I get honest with God and I realize that starting with me, I have a condition called sin. And I can't fix it myself. I can't fix it by making promises, going to some program, getting even a prescription. Can't fix a sin condition. I'm broken inside. The diagnosis is sin and I'm a sinner. Or as one preacher said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And that's why it comes then secondly, the word B, the letter B for believe. Believing that Jesus sent his son to fix our sinful condition. Since I can't fix myself, God goes, I'm going to fix you. If we could fix ourselves, then why in the world would God have to send his son to die that painful death? We can't fix ourselves. If I can get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never need to have come and die on the cross and resurrect. Jesus' death was Jesus being my sin bearer, dying in my place. See, he died the death that I should have died lived the life that I could never live and gave me a reward I never deserve, which is forgiveness in heaven. And then the C word, confess. It's confessing him as Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That word Lord is a big word. It actually means you're the boss now. When I run my life, I don't run it too well. When you run my life, man, you lead me in, in the right paths. See, when God sent his son to die on the cross, it wasn't to get us to sit in a church for an hour. It was to get us to heaven. God's goal is to forgive you and send, and so you would live with him forever. You'd have power on earth and his presence in heaven forever. Coming to church on Sunday, that could be very religious. But being born again, that's a relationship. God didn't send his son to die to give you a religion. God sent his son to die to give you a, a relationship. He wants more than one day a week. He wants every day. And that can start right now. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? I want to just pray a born-again prayer. A prayer that I, I want to invite you to pray with me. Wherever you're at, if you're sitting in your living room, if you're sitting in a TV room, if you're sitting in your kitchen, maybe you're listening at a gym and on a treadmill or an elliptical. I want you to say this prayer with me. Well, Pastor Tim, I'm not perfect. Exactly, none of us are. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And today 
could be the day of salvation for you. You could be born again today. Maybe you do it as a family, husband and wife. Maybe you grab each other's hand and say, honey, let's start this journey today. Let's start this journey and be born again. Would you pray this prayer with me? I want to pray this born again prayer. If you can, say it out loud with me. Maybe whether you whisper it, say it out loud, wherever you're at. And then when we say amen, I want you to do me a favor. Don't just click off and go in, okay, it's all good. I want you to, Pastor David's going to come right up and even tell you what a next step is. So just stay with us. But would you pray this prayer with me? Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame and my guilt and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen.